Was this morning troubling for anyone? Troubling for anyone. Let me explain what I mean. Some of you, are, you guys are looking at me like I'm nuts. And while that may be true, but let me explain what I, I mean. The service this morning, I found it a little troubling, a little disconcerting. As we spent time praising God in, in deep, incredible worship for His greatness, for His glory, we then watched the video of what happens in our world. And, and the distinction between the two, the discontinuity between the two is startling. And it reminds us that we live in a world that is seeking to defame God, that is seeking to detract from His glory and do everything it can to keep us from focusing on our Lord and Savior. And it's troubling. And I have to confess, we at times dabble. I dabble. I dabble with the temporary, with the unimportant, with the worries of this life, with the things that that don't have eternal meaning. And forget about the eternal. Forget about the glory and the weight of that glory. A quote that I love that I've used before, but not in this series, so I can use it again as the series comes to an end. It's from C.S. Lewis, The Weight of Glory. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Usually not emotional as I read that, but after watching that video compared to worship, it's hard to talk about. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. For the last few months, we've been studying the attributes of God. Trying to delve into who God is to the eternal. To the things that are contrary to what the world has to offer, which is nothing. Which is just empty promises. And today we come to our last attribute. And it's an attribute that is the culmination of all the attributes that we've talked about. That is the sum of all these attributes. And some would say, well, it's not an attribute. It's the sum of all these attributes. But God still possesses it. He contains it. And Scripture talks about it over and over and over again. And over 300 verses coming back to the glory of God. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, verse 13 And we'll be jumping throughout Scripture because the theme of God's glory is His story. It starts at creation when we know the heavens declare His glory. It ends at the end of Revelation where His glory is vindicated and restored. God's Word is the story of His glory. So in Revelation chapter 5, 13 and 14, just by way of introduction, it's a good place to start. And I heard every creature... Catch that word, every. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And then we see the response. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Let's open in prayer. 
Lord God, our Father, as we attempt to grapple with the permanent, with the eternal, with the infinite this morning, may you impress on us your glory. May you impress on us the need to fall down and worship because there is nothing else we can do. Lord, fill our thoughts with you. Fill our desires with you. Our purposes with you. Replace all else. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory. It's one of those words that, again, we use a lot. One of the the familiar words in Christianese, in Christian terms. Well, we're going to do everything for God's glory. God is glorious. We're going to glorify God, or He's going to glorify us. And we throw this word around, and so it's a good place to start to, to ask the question, what do we mean by glory? What do we mean when we say that everything is to be to the glory of God? And the word for glory is really based on two primary words in Scripture. There's more that are used with honor and some other aspects of it. But the two primary words, in the Old Testament it's kabod, and in the New Testament it's doxa. And those are the the two sources that we find for a description of God's glory. And kabod in the Hebrew in the Old Testament had the idea of heavy or weighty. It had this, this sense of importance that someone is to be revered because they are important. We'll talk about that more when we get to some of the observations. But it's the idea of an influential, rich, prominent person. When, when Pastor Andrew and I were in Israel, we were at the, the Church of the Nativity, and all of a sudden they shut down everything. And for whatever reason, well, I know that we know the reason now, they, they made a stand to the side and some people that were down in, in the, um, the place where you can see where they think Jesus was born had to move on through and they cleared the whole area out and we were just stuck there for a while because there was a, sorry, there was a dignitary from Russia. One of the cabinet secretaries was there and he decided he wanted to go through the church. Now, for whatever reason, they felt he was more important than us. That's weighty. That's heavy. He carried more importance. And so they, they moved us aside and with bodyguards and security, and it was really quite fascinating to watch. They moved them through, and when they were done, then we were able to go through. In a human sense, that's a taste of glory. But in the Old Testament, that word is used of God because He is so completely above us, so completely beyond us, that all glory and honor and recognition goes to Him. It also carried the idea of splendor. But doxa in the New Testament is much more about that. It's a a sort of bright light, a shining light. To, To magnify someone, to declare that someone is great. To enhance or or recognize a person's status, fame, or prestige. And so out of those two words, we have a definition of how glory was used in the Bible. The splendor of the totality of God's nature and actions. So that's the first half. I like the word totality. Summary. um, The the wholeness of it. The uh, The splendor of the totality of God's nature and actions... And the second half, the honor, praise, and recognition due Him because of His being, attributes, and actions. So you have two halves of this definition. And throughout Scripture, there's two ways that glory is used, and both are connected. 
The first is who God is. The being of God. The sum of who He is. And I'm going to call that this morning His inherent glory. Or the glory that is part of His nature and part of His being. And the second half of that I'm going to call His reputation glory because it's the sense of that He is due glory. That we glorify Him. We worship Him. We praise Him. And the two are tied together because if God is not glorious, then when we worship Him, we are worshiping an idol. And so we have to understand God is worthy of praise. And then our response is to praise Him. So inherent glory and reputation glory, just to separate the two. See, an inherent glory, who God is, we can't add to that, right? We've studied that. God is unchangeable. He's immutable. And so we can't suddenly say God is more glorious today than He is yesterday. He is all glory. He is infinite glory. But when we get to the, the, the reputation glory, that is the perception of people around us of God. The perception of mankind. That is His fame. His reputation. We can add to that. And so this morning, we cannot add to God's glory we can add to the recognition of God's glory. Let's start with inherent glory, and we'll move through some of these things pretty quickly because I want to get to um, the implications of God's glory. But the first idea of inherent glory is the word weighty. And I have just a blank at the beginning of each of your points just to write one word in to help us understand. The word for number one is weighty or heavy. And it's what I was describing with kabod. This idea of important and prominent. And it's a term that we used to use. I, I mean, I heard they used in the 70s uh, of, wow, that's heavy. Right? What did that mean? It meant this was deep, man. This was, this was something to think about. And that's the idea here behind weighty is the, an importance and a status that he is awesome. And again, not using that like we did in the 80s, where awesome was used for everything. But God's Word says that God is awesome in the stance, or in, from the standpoint that He invokes incredible awe. Incredible awe. And so weighty is point number one. God's glory is the totality of His nature, including all of His attributes. Including all of His attributes. Now, we've studied attributes one at a time, and, and they, have, they have boggled our mind at times. They have been beyond comprehension at times. But glory says, let's look at all of them together. Principle of multiplication. Let's look at all of them together and see what effect it has on you. Erickson says, when used with respect to God, it does not point to one particular attribute, but to the greatness of His entire nature. Turn over to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. And again, we've put a lot of verses in your notes because throughout God's Word, God's glory is tied to His attributes. And what's interesting is as you look at those verses, in each verse, a different attribute is tied to His glory, which points out the fact that glory is the sum of all His attributes. Romans 11 Look at verse 36. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. 
And so we have a statement of God's glory, but the first word of verse 36, 4, says we need to go back to the verses prior to that and look at the context and say, okay, what's he talking about? What is he saying contributes to God's glory here? And go back to verse 33 and enjoy these verses. Just relish them. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Right there, we have attributes of His wisdom and His omniscience. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable are His ways. And we see His attribute of incomprehensibility. His attribute of sovereignty. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? And we see the attribute of His self-sufficiency. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. And we see His power. And all that ends with, to Him be glory forever. See, it's about contemplating and dwelling on the fullness of God's being. We won't turn there, but in Revelation 19, we see the the multitude and they start praising God when they see God's judgment, His justice and truth. And they say, this is your glory. In John 11, Verse 39, Jesus is, is coming along and this is the, the area, this is the time when Lazarus has died and he comes to Martha and Jesus is talking to Martha and he says, this is for my glory. She says, Lord, by this time there will be an order. It is odor. It has been, he has been dead for four days. It's gonna stink, God. You should have been here sooner. And Jesus said to her, and catch what Jesus ties in. Did I not tell you that if you would, if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so God's glory there is tied to His power, His ability to resurrect from the dead, His power over death, His omnipotence. We have verses in that list that talk about His faithfulness and truth, and His faithfulness is His glory. Turn to Exodus 33. Exodus 33. Because we go back to the Old Testament, a story that we've used for several of the attributes. And we know that the children of Israel have come to Mount Sinai. And we know from, from verses earlier that for six days it says the glory of the Lord rested on the top of Mount Sinai. And this is what happened. They're, I can only imagine camping down there and they look up and this cloud comes and envelops the top of the mountain. And God's Word describes it as it looked like a cloud of burning fire with thunder and lightning. Wouldn't that have been cool? You look up and you see just this cloud which represented a visible representation of God's glory and it's just burning and fire. And then God says, Moses, come on up. (laughs) Yeah, right. But He does. He does. And in the process of giving the law and, and, and in talking with God, we come to Exodus 33, 18 and 19. Exodus 33, 18 and 19. Moses said, please show me your glory. Simple request. Show me your glory. Show me who you are. And he said, I will make all my goodness an attribute pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord or Yahweh. 
And we know that name had to do with reputation. Whenever you see for the sake of the name or for the name of Christ, it's saying for the glory of Christ or for His reputation. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Moses said, show me your glory. And God says, let's look at my goodness and my mercy and my grace. And he's showing him through his attributes, his glory. And this is where we get the idea of weight. And this is where, where the, the law of multiplication comes in. Because as we think about God's glory, the world wants us to think small thoughts about God. Light thoughts about God. God with a little g so often consumes our mind that we forget that God is a big G. A capital G. And so when we come to saying that God's glory is the sum of all His attributes, we have to start thinking of what that means. Thinking through His attributes. And this morning I want to take a moment to practice that. And... and just spend some time meditating and focusing on who God is. And I have this to illustrate weight because one attribute is pretty light. It's pretty easy. But as you add attributes, what does that do to your perception of God? To your understanding of God? It multiplies it in ways I can't with a little tray. God is self-existent. He needs no one else. God is holy. God is a God of grace. God is an infinite God. God is unchangeable. God is truth. And all these things stack and get heavier. God is incomprehensible, but yet He's knowable. God is righteous. God is omniscient. He knows all things. God is a God of mercy, extending compassion to us. Glory, the culmination of all His attributes. God is self-sufficient. God is omnipresent. God is love. Always. God is wisdom. Always. God is sovereign. Always. He is eternal. He is just and righteous. Let me actually set this down. Which illustrates the point. God is faithful even when we are not. God is knowable. God is good all the time. God is patient. Praise God as He extends grace and mercy. God is omnipotent. He can do all things. God's glory is heavy. It weighs on us when we consider all of who He is. I challenge you, if you find your thoughts so distracted this week with the world around us, go back through a list of God's attributes. Train your mind to focus on who God is. To know God. And it will change your outlook. Number two, God's splendor. God's splendor, which is part of what glory is and His inherent glory. It's the visible manifestation of God's character. It's the brightness and radiance of glory. 
It's that time in the morning where you're just waking up and it's dark and someone flips on all the lights. And then my kids run. <laughs> and, and, and it is so bright that it's just, it's invading every sense that you have. That's a tiny little aspect of what it means for God's glory to be bright and radiant. So it's the visible manifestation. We can't see all of these things, but when God chooses to reveal Himself throughout Scripture, it's, it's revealed in light, in radiance. It's the brightness of God's revelation about Himself. And I don't know how all that works. I don't know how the supernatural realm can affect the physical realm in that way. But we know in Scripture that that's what happens. In Exodus 33, if you read on, verse 21 And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, a little cave right there, and and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. He's going to give Moses just a glimpse of his glory. And then in the next chapter, Exodus 34, 29, we see the result of that. When Moses came down from Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. And he had to wear a veil because people were a little freaked out. And yeah, I guess I would be too. If one of you walked in and you were glowing, I think, okay, we did some sort of nuclear test or you left your microwave open or something. But... Moses was glowing and it was a real physical radiance that was coming off of his face. This wasn't fake. This isn't symbolic. This really happened because he had tasted the glory of God. And God's glory is radiant. You cannot truly taste God's glory and come away unchanged. You can't. And if we're struggling to have an impact around us, if we're struggling for people to see God's glory through us, I would challenge us that that's because we haven't experienced God's glory. And we haven't experienced the weight of it. And we've taken it lightly. And it's time to go back to learning who God is. Several other verses you can read there. We have examples of that in the transfiguration, in the throne room scene in Revelation 4, which we sang about. The new Jerusalem, there won't be sun or stars because God will give the light. But God's glory is radiant. Number three, actions. Through God's deeds, Israel saw God's glory in His works and His presence. Israel saw God's glory in His works and presence. And it's a fun exercise to just walk through the Old Testament with the children of Israel and see how many times the word glory is used. When God gives them manna to eat in the morning, because they're complaining because they're hungry, God gives them manna to eat, and He says, I will show you my glory. He's meaning His provision, His deeds, His help. While you're in Exodus, turn over to chapter 40. We've got to read this, this passage. Because we see how God's glory was working in their lives and was there... His presence in their lives. And that's the same God that we serve. Exodus 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. 
and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the clouds settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And we have a visible representation of God, a theophany in the Old Testament where God is showing Himself through the cloud on Mount Sinai and now in the tabernacle. We'll see in a moment in the temple. But His glory was so weighty that he couldn't, Moses couldn't even enter throughout all their journeys. And then catch how God in His glory deals with them. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. And so what happened is when, when the cloud would stop, the glory of God would stop, it was their direction. And if it stopped, they built the tabernacle there, and they built camp all around it, looking at the glory of God. Their focus was God's glory. We could learn something from that. Everything was about God's glory. And then when the cloud would... would rise and it would move on, they'd pack up camp and they'd follow it. What happened with the cloud at the Red Sea? Went behind them and protected them, didn't it? That was God's hand, His glory. Recognize what God does in our lives because those are evidences of His glory. Sometimes this glory is referred to as Shekinah glory or a dwelling glory because God dwelt with them. We know that because of their disobedience that eventually left but then returned in the person of Jesus Christ as He dwells in each of us. And so God, through His signs and wonders in Egypt and in the wilderness, was showing His glory to the children of Israel. And fourth, the last part of inherent glory is that God is our Savior. He he provided a Savior. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God's glory. His incarnation showed God's glory. His glorious atonement on the cross showed God's glory. His resurrection displayed His glory. His ascension displayed His glory. His coming return that we have hope in displays His glory. And remember, glory is the culmination of all of who God is. Well, the cross and the life, and Jesus Christ is the culmination of God's plan of salvation to draw us to Himself, to bring a people into relationship with Him. And so, His plan through Jesus Christ is the perfect display of His glory, of every one of His attributes. Turn to John 1.14. Key verse. John 1.14, and then you can look up some of the other verses as it traces the life of Christ and sees glory through the life of Christ. But John 1.14, and the Word became flesh, and he's speaking of Jesus Christ here, and the Word became flesh, the incarnation, and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so Jesus as He was born was the perfect representation of God's glory. The fullness, the weight of His attributes, the weight of who He is that came to earth to show us His glory to bring salvation because God is glorified when we come to Him. His fame is increased when we come into relationship with Him and trust Him and believe on Him. And His desire is for people from all nations to come to Him.
Glory in Christ who displays God's glory. We sang this morning, Glorious Christ. The world makes light of that. The world says there are so many other ways to get to heaven. The world tries to destroy God's glory every step of the way. But there is glory in God's plan that says, I choose you. I want you. I will come and pay for your sins on the cross myself. And I will secure your salvation if you will believe in me. Isn't that incredible? Do we get tired of hearing that because we've accepted Him? I hope not. Because that is the display of God's glory. He saved you if you believe in Him. He brought you into relationship. He adopted you if you repent and believe on Him. Don't take that lightly. Those are God's evidences of God's inherent glory. We come to the second half, God's reputation glory. And again, we don't add anything to the glory He possesses, but we add to His reputation. And in fact, we can add or we can take away from God's recognition glory by how we live here on earth. And this comes to the idea in both of the, the definition, the words for glory of Recognition of status, fame, renown, prestige, or honor. It's the superlative honor that, that is due God from everything that He has created. And so we can give glory to God by proclaiming His praise. By proclaiming who He is. You know, just a, a silly little example that helps us understand. If, if we're all out in the gym afterwards and I go running through the gym saying, the deaconesses are great, the deaconesses are great, the deaconesses are great, I'm proclaiming their glory, right? And making good with the people that provide food. <laughs> I, I'm proclaiming their glory. I'm not adding anything to them, to, to who they are, but I'm adding to their reputation with all of us. That's what we should be doing with God. That's His reputation glory. That is what He has asked us to do, to be proclaiming to a world, God is great! God is awesome! That's what it means to give glory to God. Four points there. We'll move through quickly. Worthy, number five. God is the only one truly worthy of receiving glory. And really the question is, who else? Who else has this kind of weight of glory? Me? Should I do things for myself to add to my fame, to add to my recognition, to my status and prestige? Knowing that if I do that, I'm not doing that for God? What about some great person? No, it makes, it's foolish to give glory to anyone else. It's foolish to live for anyone else. So God says, do all for my glory. Because it's always a choice. Who am I glorifying? If I'm not intentionally glorifying God, who am I glorifying? In Revelation 4, the song we sang, I'll just read it to you. It's the throne room. And the living creatures are giving glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne. And this is what they say. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. We know that creation declares His glory. We know that He alone redeems His people. Those are incredible acts 
that show that God is worthy. There's a warning with that because God is jealous of His glory. God is jealous of His glory. In Isaiah 42.8, I am the Lord, that is My name. My glory I give to no other. God is saying this. This is serious stuff. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. See, jealousy is God demanding what He is due, what is rightfully His. It's not envy. Our God is a jealous God because it's rightfully His. Just like if one of you was, was hitting on my wife, my righteous jealousy would take care of that. Right? And so God, if someone is taking away from His glory, not glorifying Him, defaming Him, He'll deal with that. Because He is a jealous God. And we see examples of that in Scripture. In Acts 12, we see Herod putting on his robes and everyone shouting, the voice of God and not of man. And he doesn't do anything. He takes the accolade for himself. Takes the glory for himself. Remember what happened? Guys like worms? Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Remember King Neb? Over his castle, looking at his kingdom. He says, look at what I have created. This is for my glory. Immediately, while the words were still in his mouth, God struck him and he became a beast on all fours, naked in the field, eating grass. Whose glory? Take God's glory seriously. He is a weighty God and a jealous God. And that comes to six. Our response should be praise. Praise. Worship is a key ingredient of giving glory to God. It's a key ingredient of giving glory to God. God's glory was often revealed in worship. The verse there that you can look up is the dedication of the temple and they, the, the music starts, the people play, the people sing, Solomon prays, and God's glory descends on the temple in a cloud much like we already read. And they praise Him. It results in worship. As we worship, we proclaim God's glory. As we proclaim God's glory, we understand Him more and it results in worship. As we worship, we proclaim God's glory and more people see God's fame. As that happens, our result is worship. Do you see what's happening? And it's, it's stripping away the worries of the world and focusing our mind and our thoughts on who God is. There's a lot of worries in this world to focus on. None of them have the weight of our God. None of them. Seven, defiance. Our sin defies God's glory and exchanges it for a cheap imitation. Isaiah 3.8 says, For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying His glorious presence defying His glorious presence. And number eight, victory. His glory will be known. Even for those that deny Him, they will know the truth. One day every knee will bow, some willingly, some not so willingly. 
and every tongue confess that Jesus is holy, that God is holy, that his glory will fill the earth. The Isaiah passage is the the scene of the throne room that Isaiah was taken up and he sees this incredible picture and he sees the cherubim saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And throughout Numbers and Psalms, we see may the whole earth be full of his glory. And we see God's desire is that the whole earth is to be full of his glory. All comes back to the glory of God. All of his attributes, all of our actions. Two implications. Only two, but they are huge if we put them into practice. The first is stand in awe and worship. Stand in awe and worship. And we've already talked about that. It's a response to the inherent glory of God, who He is, And we see over and over and over in Scripture that people saw God work. They saw His character. And their only response could be worship. Declaring the greatness of God. It's why we sing. It's why we sing songs that declare His greatness. And I pray that we are thinking of the words and we are thinking of the weight of God's glory as we sing and not anything else. Because God's glory deserves our undivided attention. Don't play and dabble with half-hearted efforts. God is worthy. He deserves our praise. And the last point there that we'll take the last five minutes with, make God's glory your whole and entire business. Make God's glory your whole and entire business. God's glory, it is, it is not your top priority, it is your priority. And you've heard me talk about this over and over because Scripture is full of understanding of, okay, what is our purpose? Declaring God's glory is our whole and entire business. It's our whole and entire purpose. Turn to 1 Corinthians 10.31. A familiar passage. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. Okay, so what does that include? Pretty much everything, right? Eating, drinking, and whatever. If there's anything else you do with your day. Hopefully there's other things you do with your day. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And Paul in that verse is setting out a specific priority that says everything you do is for God's glory or is to be for God's glory. We sin when it isn't. And we fail a lot on that. I fail a lot on that. But everything is to be to God's glory. Colossians 3.17, a parallel passage that uses name instead of glory, says the same thing. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Romans 11.36, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. We have been bought with a price. We are not our own. 
And so our response to God's glory as we experience the weight and the heaviness of His glory, our response is we have to tell people. We have to declare His glory. There is nothing more important. And I'm concerned because in America, we have our lists of priorities that compartmentalize God's glory instead of treating it as an all-encompassing directive for every part of our lives. Jacob, if you could put up that slide. This is how we often think of priorities. Okay, we, we have our list. God first, family second. Then we put church first. For some reason, we separate that from God. And, and then job and entertainment and, and friends. And so we have this list that, okay, I'm going to d- devote time to the glory of God. Then I'm going to move on to family. Then job and entertainment. And it's this to-do list. I use to-do lists all the time. What happens when I complete something? I check it off. I feel really good about myself. It's done. I can forget about it. And I'm concerned because I think we include glory to God in that list. Next slide sort of maybe gives a different way of viewing the same thing. Maybe we have our priorities and we say, I'm going to spend most of my time giving glory to God, second most to family, then maybe job and entertainment and friends and money. This is not what God's Word teaches This is not whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is not do everything in the name of the Lord. This is not the man who found the treasure in the field and sold everything and dedicated his life to the kingdom. Jacob, if you can move two slides forward. One more. This, I would propose, is a picture of what God's Word teaches on the glory of God. Everything is to be to the glory of God. It's the all-encompassing directive. Now, now, don't go away thinking I don't care about family and work because actually this perspective, I think, puts a higher importance on those things than a list of priorities. Because what this says is all of those things are my instructions by God that as I do those things, I'm giving glory to God. It's, it's a matter of motives. Does that make sense? I can be about family and not be about the glory of God. And it's a weak, half-hearted, partial attempt at building a strong family. But I can be about family and do it for the purpose of the glory of God and say, I'm going to be intentional with my time at home. I'm going to be intentional with my kids. I'm going to be intentional with what we do. We as a family are going to bring glory to God. Does that raise my kids better? Absolutely. But that's not my purpose. And we live in an age where so many of these things are idolized and become our, our, what consumes us. Job, we can work hours and hours and hours for what? Maybe to get a good paycheck so I can jump over to the entertainment circle. But God has you, men and women, God has you in your job for His glory. He has the people you come in contact with as divine appointments for you to show them His glory. This brings a new importance to work. Now, as I work excellent, and I believe we should work excellent in an excellent fashion. Better grammar there. I believe if you're going to school, you should be doing your best at school. Not to boost yourself up, not for your own fame and own recognition, but because everything you do is either adding or detracting from God's recognition. 
And so we should be the best students, the best workers for the glory of God. The question I leave you with, we have to end. The question that I urge you to ask today and every day is we need to start training our mind. How is what I'm doing bringing glory to God? How is what I'm doing right now bringing glory to God? Give yourself a post-it note this week where as you go about your week, you keep asking that question. How is the time I'm spending with my family bringing glory to God? How is rest bringing glory to God? Rest brings glory to God. we, We could go on and on and on with this. Rest brings glory to God. Entertainment has its place if it's part of rest so we can do things for God's glory and for His kingdom. But don't settle for half-hearted shadows of God's glory. Everything you do brings glory to someone. So who makes the most sense to glorify? It can only be God. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, I am pressed on by the weight of your glory, but not burdened. Lord, I pray that that weight would result in a declaration of you to all that we meet. In a renewed sense of purpose that we are going to live life on purpose for your purpose, for your glory. Lord, may we be a people that shine with your radiance, that have been touched by your glory, that the world cannot ignore. Lord, this week, Help us to go about every one of our tasks and be intentional about how it shows your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.